the word business might still not feel like my terrain, but entrepreneurial mm-hmm. is certainly my terrain. I mean, I've been on the hustle for since, and I was a teenager to try to figure out how to live a creative life. Yeah. And, and so suddenly I can kind of take ownership of that and it feels really powerful. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey, folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. We have two of my absolute favorite people here today, Elizabeth Dove and Brad Allen, art professors at the University of Montana. These two cats are building something really exciting here on campus, the Innovation Factory. It's a place where ideas can go to collide with other ideas, and it's a place where those ideas can be brought to life, be it through coaching or incubation or even fabricating a prototype. On Friday, the Innovation Factory launches 30 Days of Innovation, an exciting series of events celebrating creativity and hustle and its many iterations in our community. Elizabeth and Brad are doing something powerful, and I'm excited for you to learn all about it right now. Okay, so we're here today with Elizabeth Dove, Brad Allen. Guys, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Justin. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having us. I gotta say, you're two of my favorite people on this campus, so it's about damn time that we <laughs> figured out to do this, and we have a great reason, too. You're both sort of leading the effort of this innovation factory. We'll learn all about that today, and about to kick off this 30 Days of Innovation event that I'd like to learn all about, but... Um, First off, let's just talk a little bit about the, the two of you. Uh, art professors uh, now kind of taking on this new thing in the innovation space. Let's maybe talk about how that came to be. Okay, I'll start. So I came to UM in 2000. I've been here quite a while now. But about uh, two or three years ago, I started um, being adjacent to conversations around innovation as part of the Strategic Planning Task Force. And Scott Wittenberg, um, the Vice President for uh, Research and Sponsored Programs on Campus, was also on that committee. And we just started having uh, conversations that really revolved around innovation as a liberal arts skill set, as a, um, a moment for um, social mobility Mm -hmm. and then he decided to make a larger commitment to that on campus and so that's how I initially got involved okay Brad yeah I mean I I think similar Uh, so I've been a a faculty member here since 2005 and um, I teach over in sculpture uh, and I was the the director of the School of Art for a bit and so I have a little bit of administrative experience but mostly I build things. And um, I, I think that, you know, early on, uh, our involvement with uh, Innovate UM, uh, a conference on campus that, that brings in, um, you know, innovators and design thinkers uh, from across the country, um, that, that experience, um, being involved with that at first kind of tangentially and then uh, uh, later, uh, you know, more from a design uh, standpoint, uh, led us to kind of, I think, at the same time, kind of, you know, consider the fact that art and entrepreneurship are very similar, and that there are some some uh, some key components: creativity, problem solving, iteration that that overlap between those two things. And um, and I think they're at the core of what uh, the Innovation Factory has become. Yeah. Before we get into the Innovation Factory, I'd like to talk about that more, like how how art and innovation overlap. I mean, what was your kind of conception of innovation? Uh, you know, in your own work as artists and and professors of art and and so forth, like how did you view innovation? Was it a concept you thought of as oh, that's what businesses do, or was it central to your approach to your work? 
Yeah, I wouldn't say that I ever use that term specifically. Right, right. Um, and if I were to have thought about it, it probably did reside more in the realm of of the novel and of probably of the technological. Sure, it, it very often is thought of as tech, right? Yeah, and which I think we're now in a position of trying to dislodge that um, that that kind of alignment. Um, but I think as as an artist, you're always involved in in novelty. But mm-hmm. sometimes that can be about as often about reinventing something or reimagining how different uh, components and materials can just line up in new ways. So I think in that sense, it's it's central. Um, this whole I think we might talk about later design thinking sure. um, uh, part of being involved in campus planning activities. There have been design thinking workshops and secretly in my head I would hear them say things like um, uh, iteration, which is an easy one, and, sure. and design thinking. And I think they're just talking about art. This is just right, an right. art project. This These is a don't... studio. It's yeah. a sketch. But I would keep it to myself because you know you feel a little awkward as a creative person sometimes in those highly intellectual intellectualized spaces. But gradually, I realized that I'm at the center, and what Brad and I do, mm-hmm. and, and what artists do, are really at the center of this. So yeah. I feel pretty confident now. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and so if we could just pause on the language <laughs> yeah. for a second. I mean, Isn't I think it interesting how like language and jargon is often used to exclude people. Right. I go on my rant about TLAs, three-letter acronyms right now, because I feel like (laughs) I just refuse to use acronyms anymore, because I feel like all they do is they're designed to make people feel stupid and excluded. Yeah. Yeah. Left out. And jargon's often the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would agree. Like, it's not that I felt uh, that I wasn't being innovative in my art practice. It's just that I didn't categorize it in that, Mm -hmm. in those terms. And, but I think if, when you when you look at it, you know, when, when you're first making a sculpture or an installation, I mean, you, you, you make a model. And so in the business world, they call that a, a prototype. You know, iteration is just sketching. You know, a, yeah, yeah. A, a co-working space is just a studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, so, and so there are all these, you know, all of these uh, mechanisms that for us we, we, we saw um, pretty clearly. And, and we, not, not only that, but we know how to navigate them and we know how to teach people how to navigate them. And so, you know, the, the you know the the fundamentals of innovation, I think, really are, you know, if, if I had to break it down into kind of a singular concept, I would say it's like a remix. Yeah. So it's like, it, you know, from a music standpoint, you know, Jack White talks and writes a lot about this, but but it's this idea that everything, you know, all information and meaning exists, and and as creatives, your job isn't to create new meaning; it's actually to just remix existing meaning. Mm. And that's the first Jack White reference on the pod, so we just got to commemorate that. That's awesome. great. That's great. If we want, if we want to sponsor the Innovation Factory, that'd be great at some point. That would be yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. So one of the kind of principles that the University of Montana is, is rolling out and operating under is this notion of tomorrow-proofing our students, you know, making them resilient, uh, empowering them to be lifelong learners, um, and I think this sort of fits squarely within that notion. Brad, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, uh, Justin. I think that, you know, we talk a lot about at the Innovation Factory about design thinking and, and just right. those core values of, uh, you know, being empathetic and then, you know, uh, testing different iterations against a problem and then reevaluating. I mean, I think if you blow that up on a larger scale and apply it to how you move through life um, and, and that extends to your education and, like you said, like returning to, to education often throughout your growth as a human – I mean, I think, uh, you know, those things, I think, could make you tomorrow proof in that you're constantly ready for challenges and you're inventing your own pathways. 
That makes sense. Elizabeth, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think there's also an effort to try to understand how the liberal arts tradition has um, particular relevance now and can be described in a way that I think, uh, you know, our students can understand and the public can understand. And one um, term that uh, Brad and I have become familiar with is 21st century skill set. And I think that that is something that has been happening at the university already. And again, these ideas of critical thinking and, and analysis and collaboration and team building. And, and I think those are skills of innovation. They, they yield um, um, new ideas, a renewal of ideas. And that's what we're hoping to forefront. Um, it makes me think, too, you know, so often in, in the College of Business, we get stuck in kind of linear thinking, right? But that, like, it's probably not the way art is made or thought of, I would imagine. I mean, yeah, you talked about a bit of a process, but... Yeah. No, it's more of a hopper. Yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, a yeah. giant it's a giant inverted kind of cyclonic bucket that you mm-hmm. put, uh, you know, source material into and then things distill and come out the bottom. Yeah. yeah. And we try to get our students away from linear thinking as much as we can. Yeah, and I'm going to up your ante here if Jack White references yet because we're going to have to catch up. So he also has this interesting uh, comment about the role of limits in the creative process. And it kind of think relates to linear thinking as well. And this is something, at least being an artist in Montana, um, for both reasons, both being an artist and being in Montana, I'm dealing with limits of resources all the time. Mm -hmm. And I find that as a necessity. That's the beginning of my creative process is actually having uh, something fixed, having um, a firm edge to something. And, and so Jack White, going back to him, he says, uh, it would be a terrible situation. It would be, it, it, you could have, he says something like, you could have any color in the world, any amount of time. He said, that's a terrible way to begin. I, I couldn't be creative in those situations. And mm-hmm. so we find that, well, I find that in my studio practice. And as we're building out the innovation factory, that's certainly the case is we're beginning with something and remixing parts. Right. And, we're over in campus surplus, and we're in a, a reinvented bookstore space, mm-hmm. and we're art professors. We're dealing you know, with with pre-existing conditions, and I find that um, those kinds of uh, connections and collisions are making sparks, and that's the exciting part. Yeah, that's an interesting idea too. Is this notion of scarcity? Right. Mm-hmm. Like we've been. I think an institution like the University of Montana will be perpetually resource constrained, right? But we've been in a particularly um, a scarce time, right? And, and, but that can create great opportunity, I would think. I mean, look, you, you guys are creating something new in a resource-scarce environment. Yeah, Scott and his office decided to make an investment, but right. at the same time, it's they didn't build you a new building and, and give you all a bunch of resources. Like, you guys are making mm-hmm. something um, kind of... I don't know quite how to frame it, but like creating so, not it's not something from nothing, but it's something from a modest investment. Mm-hmm. Was that arguably <laughs> true? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, there's there's a um, uh, a comfortability uh, to, to working within limits that yeah. that we're approaching all of this, and and I think you have to have patience. You know, you're you're, you're you know you have to plant seeds. Uh, you know, as Elizabeth will reference, mm. I'm I'm sure at some point is that this idea of kind of you know f- like farming. You know, we're cult- we're cultivating, you know, future outcomes every day. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I wouldn't want to overly romanticize the idea of scarcity. Let's right. not do that. I mean, this, we've gotten through <laughs> it's some, not necessarily some, <laughs> the desired state. <laughs> we've gone through some hard years, yeah. but 
I actually don't haven't ever worked in another fashion, and I don't imagine many creatives have. And I, I think that goes back to you know again why Jack White, who could really have anything, still wants to start from a mm-hmm. place of limits because navigating those is where um, that path of navigating is the, is where interest lies. So let's talk about how this thing came to life. I mean, we got to define what the innovation factory is, or I don't know if we initially have to define it. Um, that might be part of the fun, but. How did it come to be? You said that you know Scott decided to make a broader investment in the concept of innovation and collaboration with art, and, and you know walk us through the timeline there. Right, I would say just about a year ago, I think it was summer potentially of 2018, the second floor of the UC, the old bookstore space was vacated, vacant, and he um, decided to rent it, and brought in. Uh, an assortment of, of individuals who've been involved in these conversations around um, around innovation. Uh, broader Impacts Group was mm-hmm. sort of leading that as a design thinking um, enterprise. There was many models that we are asked to consider nationally, things like the Lassonde Institute at University of Utah and, and the, uh, these global network of design factories coming out of Finland were sort of broad models. And this is not a new enterprise for universities in in America or or internationally, new for Montana, but not new. So we had um, many things we could reference. But I think Scott's literal uh, piece of advice, or not piece of advice, but guideline, there were a few few guidelines. Everything has to be on wheels. Everything has to be on Mm. casters and no walls. And so I think that that was a legitimate thing. He just wanted to have a flexible space, but I think it also... Uh, indicated his mindset and how he recognized that flexibility and agility, um, adaptability, um, being being current, being able to change was really going to be the core of this whole project. Okay, so a lot of what you're talking about seems like it fits squarely within the sustainability mission of the university. You know, reusing materials, um, using an old space for new mm-hmm. things, like all these, it's just kind of the ethic you're bringing to this, just seems like it fits squarely with one of the core values of the university. Yeah, I think it does, Justin. I, I mean, especially insofar as um, being economic and uh, mm. reusing what kinds of uh, particular pieces of equipment um, and materials that might be on hand. I mean, that's a very Montana uh, skill set. And so I think we we want to weave in a sustainable um ethos and practice as much as we can. And we want to partner with entities across campus that are doing that uh, already and, and, and try to amplify uh, their, uh, their efforts. Yeah, it seems too that you know, by centralizing some of these efforts that are going on on the fringes of campus, um, you know, people creating in different spaces, this, very, this sort of interesting conception of entrepreneurship, the intersection of that with art, seems like bringing that all together is just um, a thing of efficiency, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm imagining campus has much more of this going on than anyone is really aware of. And then, as Mm -hmm. you just mentioned, that the opportunity to sort of interlink this and to have awareness about, uh, and in order to be, I think, really rewarding for people to see some of their local efforts validated and maybe some of their models could even be expanded. So... Everything is flexible. Everything's on wheels. But like, what, what's what's supposed to happen there? Hmm. Like, what you're building this thing, this space. What do you envision happening in the space? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the, the 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 main goal is to create communities. Okay, it's about relationships, and so we have a physical space. 
Um, there, there are, you know, many potential outcomes of, of investing your time in if and, and kind of engaging these communities. But I think uh, mostly it's about, uh, you know, having, creating the right circumstances for these creative collisions between students and the community and faculty uh, that represent a cross-section of, you know, disciplines and fields, but, you know, collectively they make something new and kind of different. And, and, and I think, you know, the, 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 the functionality for UM is in the creation of these relationships and how they relate to both, you know, the, a student's ability to tell their story and the university's ability to tell its. Okay. And so thinking about the communities, you know, have you thought about, I mean, so there's, di- there's different constituents that are kind of represented in the space. I mean, the two of you representing art, you've got the, the Blackstone Launchpad is, is, is moving yep. its home yep. to the Innovation Factory, Broader Impacts Group. Partners. Partners, okay. But a few other sort of entities that have existed on campus and been, been involved in this creative enterprise in some mm-hmm. way are now sort of co-locating in this, in this space. And, how did you think about the sort of people and entities you wanted to you wanted to bring into the family? Yeah, well, I think there was a um, a, a uh, an awareness, an early awareness that you know we wanted this to model some of the or replicate some of the successful outcomes of of entities that Elizabeth mentioned, like the Lassonde Institute, um, where you know there's a, a, a heavy investment in entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. entrepreneurial thinking uh, alongside design thinking and design education. And so we, part, part of uh, you know, what, it, what is available to, to a, a user at IF is a work lab. And so that's our industrial version of what a makerspace is. And so you know, the, just the, the, the proximity, uh, the rare, I would say rare proximity of having you know, a, a space where you can get a business consultation and then 20 feet in another room you could make a prototype. I think the, that proximity means a lot. So the ability to, to move through ideas and to iterate quickly in one space as a team is, has a lot of value. Yeah, so what is a makerspace? I've heard that term a lot. I mean, we go back to jargon, but I've heard makerspace. Sure. And, and doesn't the broader impacts group have the van that goes around and yep. has a, a makerspace inside the van? Yes, like, yeah. So, so what is yeah. that? What and, happens in a makerspace? And so makerspaces are everywhere. And so we're, we're, we don't purport to have the only or the best or a specific kind of one, but sure. the, I would think about them more like a tool. Okay. So it's like, okay, so, you know, the, you know, the, yes, Broader Impact's uh, group, actually Spectrum, ha- has, has a, a van that can, that's a mobile makerspace. Uh, there's a fantastic makerspace down the Bitterroot. Uh, there's a new, a burgeoning, a new a makerspace in East Missoula. There'll be a fantastic makerspace in the new public library. There's one mm-hmm. in the existing library. There's maker, uh, 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 space facilities, 3D printing, laser cutting in our, in our campus, uh, the Mansfeld Library uh, in paw print. Uh, so, so these these um, spaces are are they all come from one place, so they're all directly descendant of you know, MIT's uh, Media Lab and, and, and so some, some jargon that was coined decades ago at this point uh, that, that basically say, okay, we're going to make a space that includes some digital technologies. And for sure, M- MIT's version of what that means is significant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but the foundation of it is, is, is access uh, to the capabilities of making. So short-circuiting that, su- that demand and supply and, and manufacturing uh, uh, continuum so that people can make things, right? Mm-hmm. And so relocating that power 
to make things and putting it directly in people's hands, right? Access to is key. Access to manufacturing. Yeah. yeah so that so I would I would say a makerspace is access to to manufacturing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, but our version of that looks like a gigantic laser cutter and you know a print farm and uh, eventually a thermoplastics uh, acrylic forming area and potentially a water jet cutter and things like that. Yeah. So if you have an idea and you want to make something happen, making a prototype, I mean that's to be able to do that right here on campus or you know right down the street and at low cost is got to be pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think when we looked at national examples of innovation centers that were similar to what we were and what Scott had envisioned, um, many of them were there sort of two um, consistent models. One came out of schools of businesses or college of businesses, mm-hmm. and the others were um, schools or colleges uh, about engineering. And I think what we're doing is something that isn't located within one academic right, discipline. Right. So it's it's in the middle of these things. It's a hub, um, which is providing some challenges on our sure. campus. It, it's not um, common. But uh, also, I think it we're recognizing that the kind of hard skills of engineering, which prototyping has been involved in for, of course, for decades, are, are, are critical, but maybe not um, the not exclusive. They're not the exclusive opportunities for innovation as society moves, you know, away from or as as, as human resource stops being um, so located in, in some of those traditional activities through automation. Uh, we're going to have to be more of a creative economy, and mm-hmm. so I think that the partnership between things that are, let's say, light engineering in, in our makerspace, and and the Blackstone Launchpad and the entrepreneurial um, component and the art and design component, I think it's a much more maybe flexible uh, strategy and team to move forward and to navigate some of the challenges of, you know, of, of a world of automation where, you know, creative economy is going to be more important. Yeah. And I, I would just piggyback on that concept. I think that's a really key point uh, is that, you know, I think our process um, in generating kind of the fundamentals of what if was going to be, um, we, we had to identify what assets exist on campus. We had mm-hmm. to identify, you know, what, what is a, a direction you know that that um is heading and what are its strengths and i think that you know uh, completely indirectly aligning with with what elizabeth was saying is that is the fact that we're great at giving a broad liberal arts education sure um is fantastic at that um it's also wonderful and and successful at teaching you know students how to be creative how to solve problems and i think how to tell their story like storytelling mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. like i think and so these things are, that exist across fields, all the way across campus in every discipline. And so what, what I think is interesting is if we, can f- if we can kind of model ways to flip that from being skill sets that are buried inside a degree yeah, or inside yeah. a discipline, flip that into something that the student promotes outwardly, that programs and, and even individual instructors and courses promote right on the surface as being the thing. Then, then I think you activate kind of uh, um, uh, a rich resource of assets that exist here now, and that prepare you know our students going forward for you know you know the the things that can't be auto- automated away are creative thinking. They are your ability to make connections. Are they're your uh, you know your ability to look at you know problems from multiple angles organically, and so th- and so those things you know we're teaching students how to do that in a history class. We're teaching students how to do that you know in a, in a culinary arts program in Missoula College. You know so so they're o- across campus. These things exist, but we're not doing we haven't yet done a great job of flipping that so that that becomes the formalized part of the education.
A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A, a New, New Angle. Angle. Yeah, that's so well put. I mean, it 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 kind of just yeah, there's this sort of notion that we have these great programs and all that needs to happen is for them to have more students or get more funding or whatever. But right. but no, we need to take you know, nobody's going to sit around or, you know, we can't sit around and wait for those things to happen. We have to, like you said, flip it and make the case that these skill sets are broadly genera- generalizable and critical at this time, you know, in, in our economy, in our society, and, and on so many levels. So I really appreciate that. Thank yeah. you, Brad. Yeah. So, and I want to talk about this concept of sort of create creativity happening by accident. You, know, you mentioned the MIT Media Lab, and, and yeah. I don't know if it was when you guys visited class last year or whatever, but you, you alerted me or somebody alerted me to the, the legend of some building at MIT, which oh. is where they cast away all the misfits. <laughs> you yeah. know, Noam Chomsky sort of included in that, and it was a building where, you know, there's no plumbing or, you know, electricity, something, right? Like oh. just some vacant building. And then a lot of gr- the best stuff that's ever come out of MIT came out of that collection of, of misfits. Can you tell that story a little bit? Yeah, it's... Obviously, I'm going to butcher parts of this, um, and many of your listeners probably know this, but it's called Building 21, right. and it was it is was on the campus of MIT. I think it has been knocked down since then, but uh, I, I guess in a nutshell, the history was that during the Second World War, they threw up some buildings by necessity, um, in, you know, and in, in it's just a crisis, and... Uh, when the war ended and the students came back, the GI Bill, they still needed these spaces. So some things that were initially probably meant to last 10 years um, were suddenly in their second and third decade, but rather forgotten, rather overlooked. Right. And so there were these misfit programs that they didn't quite know what to do with, and they would stick them in Building 21. And, you know, it, it was four floors and it was leaking and rattling and cold and all these things people would talk about. Um, not unfamiliar maybe to some parts of campus and <laughs> I'm looking at you <laughs> out there in the world. So um, it, it, when you had the linguistics program, so Noam Chomsky came out of that, uh, I guess the, um, the, 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 you know, one of the early computer science areas. Mm-hmm. And because there was, it was a little feral, there were really no rules in this um, space and nobody thought the building had any legacy. So they were, they were drilling holes through multiple floors to make sort of large scale engineering projects. They were connecting by Drawing things not talking to facilities when they not, needed to hang pictures. Just, just. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other thing was the building was so kittywampus in terms of how it was organized that you couldn't find your room. So people would wander just trying to find back to their office. And so this created those literally these collisions yeah. in hallways. Not to mention like when they tried to find the coffee maker. So these communities started talking to each other in, right. in, in unscripted ways, non-prescribed ways. And anyway, the host of things that emerged from that is legendary. Mm-hmm. So now people try to emulate that in these, you know, in these co-working spaces. And maybe we have a leg up because we're working in a facility that isn't leaking and, and, and is very warm. So, I mean, the UC is lovely in that regard, but it's not purpose built. And we are bringing um, people together and our alignments aren't I mean, intellectually, we're, it's seamless, but they're not. I mean, we're trying to fit together yeah. into a space in, in close working proximity, and we see real advantage in that. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think part of that, too, was that was uh, it became a community because of its mm-hmm. um, it's, it, it, it being uh, kind of, you know, uh, 
angularly uh, kittywampus on campus <laughs> and, and, and cross-sectional. I think it became an, an interesting and somewhat isolated, although accessible community. And so we're trying to duplicate some of those things. And there's also the, like a bit of a mindset, too, and you feel like yeah. you've been cast away. And yeah. Well, you're, you're part of a team. You become part of a, a castaway yeah, yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. A, t- yeah, a club of misfits in yeah. a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Come join us. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're doing great. <laughs> There's some Groucho Marx quote that I should evoke right now. But, um, yeah, so let's talk about you know, some of the surprises along the way for you guys. Like, I'm sure there are bureaucratic surprises. We don't need to get into those. <laughs> but you know, what have been some of the, the insights? Because you two have really kind of shifted your professional existence to really focus on this. And you're passionate about it you're persisting with it and so what's what's feeding you and what's surprised you positively in this in this whole process well i think a thing that surprises us is is and this is uh you know we we're not open yet but we have toured you know tons of students a thousand students i'd say you know in 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 the few months we've been kind of nearly open and uh you know when when people walk through the door there's a sense of um possibility hmm. that you see on students faces and 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 they get excited and, and I think that's one thing that's fueling me right now in the the long days and the and and the the, the um, kind of you know a, a constant designing uh, process that we're in is is that look on students faces when they walk through the front door and I don't think Justin I don't think it's because they see some giant you know five-axis robot arm obviously that thing doesn't exist in, in our space <laughs> But it's. I think it's because it's open. Like it's a big open floor plan. It is vast. I there's mean, a, there's I a lot of. I've been there in a while, but it's vast. Yeah, yeah, it's vast. It seems like there's there's a lot of color on the wall. Mm-hmm. There, it looks like there's spaces that you can occupy, right? And so I think, I think we 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 get a kick out of seeing that. Not just a kick, but we understand what that means. That means that it'll have kind of a stickiness to it that students will want to come back and they'll want to start uh, you know making those relationships and, and building those communities yeah to have community you want to have a place where people want to be yeah. spend time and some of that just comes from you know some of that creative output just comes from spending time together and yeah. repetitions yeah and i think as artists we um have of course special skills i mean brad comes from the 3d world he can fabricate anything cast anything digital or analog i'm more 2d i come from um, photography printmaking mm-hmm. graphic design and so between the two of us we can pretty much design and make uh and make things um but what i think is interesting is watching how those skills have adjacency to other um disciplines and so as you know we're literally next to blackstone launchpad but as we're Building and thinking about curriculum and how we can meet student needs, we realize that you know in the sciences they have a need for better data visualization. Yeah, and and I have design skills and 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 and, and you know podcasting is what we're doing right now is not something that I have familiarity with, but your expertise is here in the School of Business. It's also going to be in journalism. And, 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 but a, a kid coming out of EVST, Environmental Studies, is also going to want to know podcasting yep. so that they can promote their story. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that having content creation at, fing- at people's fingertips is really exciting. And I think I'm learning that through the business perspective, which is not a thing, sadly, that artists tr- 
traditionally are taught. I mean, I went to art school, and it wasn't something that was ever um, I was ever informed about. Really, I mean, there's this whole there's mythology. There's not a class on pricing your your work. Oh dear. Um, I mean, you know, sadly, we're locked into our own silly mythologies yeah. where you know being a starving solitary artist in a garret is is somehow you know meant to be romantic, you know, eventual goal, life goal. Right? Right. Not not so much. Anymore. You're only allowed to make money after <laughs> you pass away. Right. right. Or there's something um, repugnant about making money that you know you're the seller. All the yep. classic things. Yep. And I mean, I think that exists in music as well. Um, and so I now though the word entre the word business might still not feel like my terrain, but entrepreneurial mm -hmm. is certainly my terrain. I mean, yep. I've been on the hustle for since, and I was a teenager to try to figure out how to live a creative life. Yeah. And, and so suddenly I can kind of take ownership of that and it feels really powerful and not something that, you know, I, I had language for before. Mm -hmm. I mean, you two are entrepreneurs here on campus. Oh man. Making something happen. <laughs> right now, Justin's knighting us. There's a know, sword involved. Oh, I'm on my great. knees. There's no sword. I mean, that's part of the problem. There's no secret handshake, right? Anybody can do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Thank you. You just have to do stuff. And yeah. I feel passionately that we need to do more stuff on this yeah. campus. And so this is a great example. And so you guys have a launch event coming up of some sort, 30 Days of Innovation launching on November 8th. What's that all about and what's happening? Yeah, so we, we have uh, we have designed, are designing, have designed a an, an in event. the process of we designing. are in the process, always in the process, <laughs> yeah, Justin. Yeah, yeah. We're in the process of, of finalizing our slate of activities, which is a thirty day grand opening uh, of consecutive programmatic events. Wow! Bam, bam, bam! Every single day. So, uh, you know, in, uh, there's some really kind of exciting, you know, components to this. Uh, we try to be as, as broad as we could be about kind of seeking, putting a call out to innovation centers and, and innovators in, in, in our region. Um, and we wanted to do a thing that wasn't just a party. Yeah. We, we wanted to do a thing that kind of connected people around the kind of the concept of innovation, helped even define it, mm -hmm. helped complicate it. Sure. And so the, this this grouping of events we're, we're pretty excited about. Do you want Right. Um, and I should say, although 30 days sounds probably a little overwhelming, we began with the idea of 100. That was our first idea. So 30 is, is, was oh, actually yeah. a nice little, a nice little anchoring <laughs> effect there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a lot shorter than 100. <laughs> yeah, so that's what that's what's satisfying and, and, and sanity um, pro provides me sanity. So, and as Brad said, we're also trying to demonstrate the breadth of, of possibility of ways to consider innovation, which is one of your first topics. Mm -hmm. well, how do we even talk? Who gets to own that territory yeah. of, of innovative? And we recognize it exists all across campus. It's in Missoula. It's it's really in this community because people want to be in this physical place. Right, They're right. connected to Missoula. They'll, again, being on the hustle, they'll find ways to be here. And so there's this kind of entrepreneurial creative and business activity. Obviously, scholarship and research is, is, is central um, to the notion of innovation. So we're trying to um, maybe recognize and honor all of those communities. Uh, we're doing things, um, and also who who the Innovation Factory hopes to connect with. So we are doing um, student-designed events, uh, student events specifically for students. Um, but we're also uh, hoping to you know reach out to middle schools. We're going to do a robotics workshop for middle schoolers. Uh -huh. We're going to have um, uh, Finnish Finnish researchers going to come uh, on November 13th and 14th. She's going to go into a high school and talk about uh, entrepreneurial activity in the restaurant community. Wow. Um, 
We're going to have a hackathon on November 16th and 17th. It's um, Mike Music from School of Visual Media Arts who mm-hmm. has brought that community with him. He's has previous experiences, never done a hackathon on campus, so we're going to get that. And he is insistent that this is, yes, it's coding, it's you know, it's computer uh, and digitally based, but it's also analog. He wants, he's just as, I mean, Mike is just as happy to watch people, you know, cut up cardboard and prototype and then move into some coding and, and just have a weekend focused on creativity. Jackie Moore is going to come and do uh, something about uh, data design and innovation mm-hmm. and, that, and that creative nexus. Um, we're going to do a sound performance at Grizz Stadium where a sonic artist who is an alum, um, I can't give too many details, we don't have a book this yet, but he's an alum. Uh, he had a Fulbright in uh, in Iceland. Sure. He's going to come in and do a, a sound performance using the uh, audio, the, the PA oh, system wow. at Grizz Stadium. Uh, that is, I, I'm intrigued. It sounds mysterious. It's going to be unexpected. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> unexpected. That's an, that's it's an intersection of an athletic yeah. community and a creative community that, that it has ha- there are a couple bumps, but we're going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you want to walk out into a snowy football field and uh, hear a sound I, performance? I, I, yes, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have um, some plans to do a sustainable design forum uh-huh. with some um, community partners. Most of these events are going to be on campus. We're sort of uh, thinking about an anchor of every day at lunchtime. From 12 to 1, there'll be an event or a presentation okay. or a workshop in the Innovation Factory. But some of them will be off, off campus as well. Um, yep. There's a new eSports team, right, uh, sponsored oh, right. by yeah. the School of Visual Media Arts. Uh-huh. Um, exciting. So they're forming and doing their tryouts right now. We want to both talk about that as an entree into a new proposed game design degree track. Okay, um, That's exciting, but also we wa- we hope to get the team. We, it's, it's lining up to actually compete with our more traditional athletes. So we want to have UM softball and, oh, and gosh. Yep, to compete yeah. against UM esports. And let's just see how that outcome <laughs> turns out. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I can't even imagine. Has that happened? Is that mm. is that happened at all? Like esports teams competing against? I don't even. I don't want to. I would say, I, I was about to say real sports team, but that's pejorative, so I can't do that. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't say that. Yeah, no, I we're not aware we're not aware of any uh, um, uh, events like that. Yeah. We, we, we don't pretend that it's completely unique, but but you know it was an idea of uh, you know Michael Cassin's faculty member at the School of Visual Media Arts and we think it's interesting right to, to kind of sit, situate esports uh, players as campus athletes yeah, yeah. and yeah. also to take expertise and and yeah. uh, kind of not sabotage it but um, remind it of its amateur status in other realms mm. so um, yeah. you know we hope to get the president up there playing an esport as well and you know, so this though I think it's going to be pretty engaging. I would engaging. buy tickets to that event. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> and also we're reaching out. I mean, there's going to be a staff professional development event. Okay. Working with Amy Kinch at the FDO. Um, we're doing some things with uh, School of Law um, on on tradition as innovation um, in, in sort of Native American approaches towards um, law and environmental policy mm-hmm. yeah. as actually um, innovative. So it, we're, it's, as I think Brad used the word complicated before, I think we're trying to complicate um, yeah. What innovation might what might be what be categorized as innovation traditionally? Yeah, I love that. I mean, there seems like you know, at times there's you know you sort of referenced this before. There's there's a bit of competition maybe about who owns what on this campus, and and we're probably not alone on this campus in terms of that you know sort of entrenched turf mm-hmm. orientations and where you're doing 
to intentionally turn that on its end, I think is, is awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. So 30 days, I mean, are, how are you going to survive? Are you going to sleep at all? Or, I mean, geez. So let's talk about coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You guys are sipping your drum coffee. Right. That's right. Yeah, well, I it's, offered it and you did not hesitate is, when you said yes. It is delightful. But in fact, one of the, uh, inside the Innovation Factory, I have made uh, just a graphic design on the wall about, there is a, a historic relationship between the coffee house and innovative ideas. It's interesting. It goes back to the sort of the 17th century where mm-hmm. coffee was brought into Europe and the coffee house, more importantly, was brought in. It also has a relationship to people tapering their ingestion of alcohol, which was a previously safe thing to drink, um, and, and shifting that into into coffee. But more importantly, it, it introduced the notion of the coffee house, which yeah. had been, I, and again, I'm, this is a very yeah. cursory explanation of history, but it had been something in, in, in Persia that was... Uh, central and, and and provided the opportunity for um, interaction and dialogue. And coffee being a stimulant mm-hmm. um, enhanced that conversation. And so when, um, I mean, this, many things were happening in the 17th century that made this a, a very fertile period for um, development and innovation, but coffee was a fuel. And we like to say we're, uh, you know, we're just perpetuating that history. Yeah. Are, you, are you asking for a coffee sponsor for the Innovation Factory? Is that happening? Yes, uh, we, we we don't yet have a coffee sponsor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you're out there, if you're out there, let's uh, hit us up. We can beat, <laughs> beat that drum, so to speak. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say it that way, Justin. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we know people. Um, okay, so I guess this is maybe a risky question in the sense that you know what you're you're not following a linear path. You're sort of trying to stimulate creative collisions and a lot of that is kind of hard to hard to harness but at some level you have to have some notion in in your mind or at least I s- assume you do of what success kind of looks like for the innovation factory like a year from now five years from now what do you what do you kind of hope this place becomes and and what do you want your role in it to be uh, you know I, I hope that it becomes a place for the university to take risks okay so I, I hope that we can provide kind of a, a safe place to incubate ideas, whether they're curricular, programmatic, um, a new way of doing kind of business to achieve outcomes, you know, in an agile way. Mm-hmm. And and so what that could look like, are, I think, are several things. I mean, we, we've uh, uh, constructed and applied for an innovation certificate that uh, would compile one credit non-prescriptive modules based in things like podcasting perhaps sure. or, or or you know a, a, any number of innovative contemporary um, you know skill sets in any field uh, and, and allow students to choose kind of what best fits their career track mm-hmm. or how they want to invent their career and so you know I think it, what this could look like in five years is you know graduating students that have a, a deep um, set of knowledge and skills in a particular field, but then maybe they also have an innovation cert on top of that yep. that allows them to be a contemporary, uh, you know, highly sought after, uh, you know, uh, 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 professional. And so I think that's that's one way this could look is having these these graduates with innovation certs that uh, capitalize on that those liberal arts skill sets and formalize them and, and actually brand with them. Yeah. Right, and it does exactly what you were talking about before, flipping it. Right, yeah. so now it's this outward badge of 
I have this thing, this set of experiences, this ability, and I can bring value to your organization or or, or I can get funding for the idea that I want to bring to life. Yeah. Yeah, I think being able to articulate those skills um, in, in, very outwardly. I think, yes, what success is, I think if we could help participate or be the, the center, at least, of a conversation around reimagining what this university has done well for so long, yeah. we haven't. It's so um, frustrating that a place which, as Brad has mentioned, is so effective at telling stories and teaching students how to do it hasn't been as successful at telling their own recently. Right, right. And in doing so, also help our students recognize that the skills they're getting here are going to be what um, leads them through career path, but also hopefully, you know, to just a life of making meaning and 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 and, and reinforcing, you know, things like a collaboration mm-hmm. and problem solving and, and you know the joy of figuring something out. And and so I think that would be success for me is if our students are are feel emboldened to say that and to own that as their own story. And I'd like to just interject and broaden that. Like I think our campus community in general to yeah. have that boldness yeah. to try new things and create new things. I mean, one thing that frustrates me here is that we just don't seem to have the systems to spin up new ideas and act on them quickly, whether it's a classroom idea or some other structure on campus. And to, to have a space where we can rapidly experiment with new ideas and and reward the ones that, you know, invest in the ones that look promising and, and say no to the one, or not necessarily no, but stop doing the things that aren't working, yeah. um, that seems like exactly what we should be doing. Yeah, yeah. an incubator. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think one of the models that we've studied is Boise State University. Right, right, right. You know, College of Innovation and Design, and in and, and speaking with their dean, um, uh, Gordon Jones, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he sums that up really eloquently and talks about, you know, that that space potentially is being an incubator for some of the riskier ideas. And so, you know, and and he tells it in a way where it's, you know, he speaks of, you know, having a failure and another failure and another failure, and then something sticks and it works really well. And then that thing from a small scale can be exported to the larger community and proven out in in kind of a a more impactful way. And so I I feel like there's, there's these, you know, five years from now, if if we're, you know, um, we, we're helping to, you know, helping the university kind of tell its story, helping it, helping the state understand what innovation is. Um, and then also, you know, I think what you're saying, Justin, is is providing an interface to the community. Um, and uh, the Innovation Factory will have open doors when they're open, and that means anyone can come in, not just students, not mm-hmm. faculty, but anyone from the community with an idea. Yeah. You want to come in and fix the button on your jacket? You can do that. We have a sewing station for that. Uh, you want to take a, a workshop and learn how to use a laser cutter? Absolutely. And so so having that kind of permeability that seeds the, the creative collision, not just on campus between students and disciplines, that's great. We, we'd love to do that but also between a community and a university that haven't always been as permeable with their with their intended outcomes or with how they collaborate like we're we're hoping to be a place that is kind of a front door to the community and we're at a time where we need that like the the, yeah i don't want to get too on the soapboxy here but you know this this notion of the four-year college experience i mean that that's to me that's sort of a dying notion maybe it doesn't go away but you know we need we're preparing students for jobs we don't even know yeah. what they will be when they get there. Right. And so we have to reconsider education as 
or the role of our institution is a lifelong relationship with, with the community. And so what you're building could be a starting point for that kind of perspective. I think it's awesome. Yeah, that, that, that is actually, that, that's the reality of higher education is, yeah. is it is a long-term relationship. It's not a four-year relationship any longer. And I feel like there's, there's a component there where, you know, I, I, I look to our, our brethren at the, and, and our, our roommates, the, the uh, Blackstone Launchpad, uh, powered by Techstars, uh, they, they've, done a fan, they've done a fantastic job of, they have a long history of creating these spontaneous combustions of, of businesses where somebody walks in with an idea and, and you know, uh, through hard work mm-hmm. and good planning, it's, it's now all of a sudden five on black. Right. Right. And so I think if we, if we can think about some of those and you know, what ma- makes that possible and successful and expand that and borrow that for the larger university in different ways, I think we'll be doing well. I think that's awesome. Elizabeth, any closing, any closing thoughts? Um, we, yeah, we welcome ideas. Part of it, as I listened to Brad speak, and I realized how broadly we're speaking, is I'd like yeah. to also say, I approach this with a lot of humility as well, yeah. because I do have um, deep experiences from the School of Art, and I know, and I, and I actually kind of welcome people now to come up to us and say, this is what I've been doing, didn't you know? And yeah. I probably didn't. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I have uh, open hands. I, I, let, let's, you know, collaborate and, and let's speak about this. It's exciting. I don't think that those conduits have existed previously. Um, I'm an omnivore for information. Um, and I think that that's kind of, as Brad mentioned, is how we're setting up this facility. And so, yeah, we, we welcome these conversations. Awesome. So the event starts uh, on the 8th with a series of events. And how can people get involved? How can people, where can they find you? We've already said that, but where can they find you? How can they find you online? How can we get involved? Um, there is a website online that we have built, which is connected to the UM portal. So it's uh, you know uh, umt.edu and then a backslash innovation hyphen factory. So that would be thing. Um, uh, you know Elizabeth Dove D O V E Brad Allen A L L E N. So you can also just you know find our emails and contacts mm-hmm. directly because this is what we're at this moment pretty heavily committed to. Um, also just walking in the door. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Second floor of the UC. Second floor, <laughs> kind of whatever that is, the northeast corner of the building. Yep, up, Let's up. just say it. We are the above the bookstore. We used to be the bookstore. We're above the bookstore. Sometimes there's this history of mapping as memory. Sure, and yeah. I think most of Missoula is going to know that uh, there used to be a bookstore on the second floor, and that's where we are. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to get to check it out myself. 30 days of innovation starting November 8th. Brad and uh, Elizabeth, thanks so much for for coming on and more broadly. Thanks for doing this work. It's super important for this moment. Thank you, Justin. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. All right. Hope you enjoyed that one. Check out the 30 Days of Innovation and get involved. It's cool stuff. Okay. Coming up next week, we have CNN Newsroom anchor and chief national security correspondent Jim Shuto. Jim recently visited UM for an event at the Bakke Center. Excited to bring you our conversation next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum and interns Aspen Runkel and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, 
If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at a new angle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word. Be sure to use the hashtag a new angle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.